Hey everybody, welcome back to the Tipsy Coast. We're your tipsy hosts, Sarah, Sarah, and Lindsay. Hey guys. Hi, I'm bummed. <laughs> Gosh, that was oh. such a great way to start off a podcast. What happened? Please tell Lindsay us why you're bummed. bummed me out. Oh my goodness. <laughs> this is why you're not allowed on the TikTok. She showed me a TikTok that was really sad. <laughs> it was not sad. It was about dinosaurs being we killed by the saved them. A misunderstanding. <laughs> and she goes, that makes me sad. I said, this happened millions of years ago. I don't know how to help you get over this. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them about the TikTok. So, I mean, we can post it also, but it's a TikTok where she's just like, hey, God. And he's like, hey, did you give the dinosaurs more muscle like I asked? <laughs> and she goes, what? <laughs> God goes, I asked you to make them meatier. And she goes, make them a meteor. <laughs> and so then the two of them are just like starting to cry going, meteor, meteor. <laughs> and that's it. That's and so then the light bulb moment happens. You know, it, it could have a, been a misunderstanding. It was a giant misunderstanding. <laughs> meteor. I've got a Triceratops on my forearm. She does. How long ago did Triceratops roam the earth? Approximately <laughs> 65 million years ago. How did you know that off the top of your head? We Googled it just before oh. we started. It's amazing. Because <laughs> I tried to challenge Lindsay and say oh, it. like billions. Yeah, she said billions of years. I said it wasn't billions. Also, <laughs> I don't know important dates in history. Like, when I'm so bummed. I was on a high because Taco Bell has this new taco that has nacho cheese on it, but now I'm on the low. No, I'm Let's mad at I... Taco Bell because they got rid of my cheesy fiesta potatoes. I know. But they replaced it with a taco no. with nacho cheese on it. No, I need my cheesy <laughs> fiesta potatoes. They have enough tacos on their menu. Why did they take those cheese? away? They're so you rude. Can put nacho cheese on anything. And your like point? my potatoes with some sour cream. <laughs> I was going to say they put them on. Or my cheesy fiesta, fiesta potatoes. <laughs> I have not had a Taco Bell since they got rid of the potatoes. I'm silently boycotting. I think that's only been like a week. But... Well, it's been a long week. <laughs> it's like the beginning of August. <laughs> it's okay. been a month. I'm like... sure. I'm sure they're feeling it, Lindsay. <laughs> They're impacted. They're like, listen, <laughs> business. We have been losing some business from Kansas City. I don't know what's going on there. It's me, Taco Bell. I'm mad at you. Man, you must have bought a lot of potatoes. <laughs> every time I bit, I every time I go to Taco Bell since I was like what sixteen, I've had the cheesy fiesta potatoes every time I go. True story. I didn't even know about them until they're the best. We went to uh, Herman. Uh, and you guys told me what to get. I mean, I've been to potatoes. Taco Bell a billion times, but I right. never got the. And weren't they delightful? They were. I mean, that's just a glob of cheese and sour cream <laughs> and on the potatoes. top. What more could Dear you Taco want? Bell, it's me, Lindsay. <laughs> I'm disappointed. I am. Bring them back. Why did you got to bring Taco Bell up like that? Gosh, I'm not over it. <laughs> you know, we're on just like a downward spiral. Dinosaurs. Yeah. Cheesy fiesta potatoes. Another <laughs> new out this week. We found a new. We I found a okay. new drink called High Noon. Yeah, I talked High about noon. it in the last no- one. Noon. <laughs> <laughs> it's vodka and soda, and we're trying this black cherry flavor, and it's delightful. How come I didn't get one? How come you guys gave me a white claw? I, I, what? <laughs> Why did I, you say that so funny? White claw. <laughs> Did they say it? We changed the whole sound. <laughs> you guys are both drinking the same thing, and I got a white claw. Oh my oh, god! White. Could you stop? It's a white claw. Thank you. How am I saying it? Weird? White claw. <laughs> Your inflection is not in the right area. <laughs> You're really making fun of my inflection. You're focusing on the claw. The white claw. The white claw. It, oh. Oh. oh, even Brutus is upset. 
Oh my. Would you like a I would. <laughs> Actually I'll get up. Hi Moon. Hold please. <laughs> Lindsay, I know you've had a rough week. I was just trying to give you what you really enjoy. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. But I haven't tried these yet, so I want to try them because you've been talking about them. They taste a lot like a white claw. A white claw. <laughs> it does. <laughs> <laughs> well, my sister-in-law used to make fun of the way I said CD. I don't know why. I think it said it like real fast. CD. Yeah, it sounds like you're saying seedy, like somebody's really seedy. Well, how do you how do you say it? CD. That's when you put the inflection on the end. CD. So many. <laughs> it's a CD. This is CD. This is back to the buggy issue. Neither one of you responded to my text, but there's a friend oh, really? at work who grew up in the South. She grew up in um, Arkansas. Yeah. And she, um, we were talking about dialect or whatever, and I said, "What do you call a shopping cart?" She was a buggy, and I was like, "Thank you." Did you ask her what a horse-drawn buggy was? <laughs> she calls that a carriage. What? Just like I do. I call that a carriage. <laughs> her face. What if you say horse and blank? That's where. That's where horse I'm and carriage. confused. No. no. Yes, a horse is, and carriage. That does not roll off. Like the you tongue. go on a carriage ride. <laughs> like a horse-drawn carriage. That, that's like Cinderella shit. Right? Oh my gosh! <laughs> it's a thing. It was not just me. But of course, neither one of these two people were working that night with me, so. I was the only one who heard it. I probably chose to ignore that text. Yeah, well, it also came in at like two in the morning, so. Well, then I definitely <laughs> ignored it. <laughs> I knew you wouldn't acknowledge it at that time. Shocker. Me? I ignore something? I have the wheel up. Oh, already? Oh, okay. We can we can wait. Oh, no, I'm ready. I wheeled too soon. I'm sorry. <laughs> Premature wheel. <laughs> I wheeled too soon. Can we never say that phrase ever again? There's a lot of phrases we shouldn't say. <laughs> yes, I agree. Let's spin the wheel. We're doing... Oh, should we even say what we're doing? Oh, oh. yeah. We forgot to do that part. We're doing mm-hmm. true crime, guys. <laughs> true, true crime. crime. Oh Did it! Gosh! <laughs> what? <laughs> that I was incredible! It! I've been down to pick up my computer and I missed that. <laughs> now you know how I felt. <laughs> that was beautiful. Hard <laughs> my soul i knew it was coming <laughs> they didn't even look at each other they just knew was- i could hear her breathe in and i knew <laughs> i am a loud breather i'm sorry <laughs> so weird that you're listening to us breathing i mean i can hear everything in my that's headphones. true that's true <laughs> including myself so we're doing true crime <laughs> and Hex, yeah i did america <laughs> I, I did an American. I also did two Americans. <laughs> we all stayed in America this time. Oh my god, we're and so crazy. I thought it would be a fun game to not <laughs> even like <laughs> isolate what part of the country we were I in. I didn't like it. Once we all figured out we were in America, I was like, let's just not talk about it anymore. <laughs> I was okay once you told me to chill out, and I was like, all right, fine. <laughs> but immediately but I was like, <laughs> you're going like it. <laughs> your first response was, I have a little bit of anxiety about that. <laughs> of course I do. I have anxiety about everything. <laughs> So we don't know where in the country we are going, but we're all staying stateside. Can I give you guys a little tip? A little Uh-oh. side note? Just a tip. Just, can I give you just the tip? <laughs> <laughs> I should have known that was coming, but still. <laughs> caught me off guard. That's what she said. That's usually what the tip does, Lindsay. <laughs>
is not going to be very exciting. Okay, what's your tip? Oh. All she has done is cracked open and sipped that high noon. <laughs> this is what happens. The fumes get her every I'm time. I'm also on, working on a monster. I learned something. What? You can vape beer. People no. pour, that sounds like a horrible People idea. pour beer. <laughs> no, thank you. You can pour beer over dry ice and breathe in the fumes, and you get drunk without the calories. Is that kind of like <laughs> 10 out of 10, don't recommend. That sounds dangerous. Funneling beer up your butthole. Is that kind of Ew. the same thing? Beer enemas. I mean, can we not talk about animals? I, mean, I feel can like you'd not? still get the calories, though. No, you? I mean, you're. Mm-mm. I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe you're not as many calories. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Don't like this conversation. Nope. Anyway, oh, so sorry, on, Lindsay. What's what your- was your tip? <laughs> oh, um, my tip is don't wear these jeans that have the holes in them because then your your splooge just splooges out of the holes. Did you what? just say splooge? <laughs> Did you not ever say splooge. Especially again? when we're talking about tips. Tips and splooge should <laughs> what not be. Are you, what is coming out of your jeans? <laughs> Lindsay, you don't want to know. Oh, when you say it like that. <laughs> say it like how? Don't wear jeans with holes in them because the splooge comes out. <laughs> God. What are you trying to say? I was trying to say it's making my fat come out of these little jeans. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not what you call you don't call, no. It's not called splooge. <laughs> do you know what splooge is? Yes, I do! <laughs> you sure? <laughs> I, I, had a very different, <laughs> I had a very different mental image. It just came out accidentally. I don't know. This is going way back to that copious conversation. <laughs> I'm very disturbed right now, yes. and I feel like I can't look at your knee. <laughs> is it turning you on? all sorts of uncomfortable <laughs> don't look at me don't look at my exposed knee <laughs> don't look at my splooge <laughs> also but look how tight these are right here <laughs> yo uh, okay so that was the point um that was very, i don't know how we got here but <laughs> didn't like that sometimes my word choice is not correct all right, I'm the first one to say. Um, like when we were on the road trip and you said you didn't want to bust your load too soon? <laughs> yes, no, it wasn't that. That was actually correct. Blow your load. Blow your load. Blow your load. Blow your you load. Blow your load. <laughs> it's pretty close. I've never heard that phrase before in my life. What? Okay. Oh, All right, well. Lindsay. <laughs> I have heard that. <laughs> Apparently. We should probably just spin the wheel. Let's spin the wheel. We are way off topic. I don't okay. know how we're getting Sorry back about here. That. All right. It was going to be an innocent tip, and it turned into a lot of nope, different things. Nope, it was not innocent when you Sorry. used the word splooge. <clears throat> it was an accident. <gasps> Delete what I said. Oh, it's Lindsay. First is the worst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to Texas. Okay. Yeehaw. Okay. Nobody's going to Texas. Good. Woo. I got nervous. Did you? So, I'm going to talk about Henry Lee Lucas, Uh-oh. the confession killer. Oh, like on Netflix? Yes. Have you guys seen this? I yeah. have. Okay, so we're going to talk about him. Because I thought it was a very... Fascinating. Fascinating mm-hmm. Netflix documentary, and you guys should check it out. So, Henry Lee Lucas was born August 23rd, 1936, in Blacksburg, Virginia. Um, So, he kind of has like a lazy eye, and fun fact, <laughs> this isn't fun. <laughs> Sorry. He lost his eye. <laughs> I was out of fun thought. <laughs> oh my god. I'm sorry. Out of fun fact. Interesting fact. It just rolls off the tongue. 
young. Fun fact. Um, he lost his eye at the age of 10 <laughs> because he got in a fight with his brother and his eye got infected. So he's very um, recognizable because of that. Uh, so did he, did he have a glass eye? Yeah. Yeah. Could he pull it out? Could he pop Probably, it out but at he, any moment? I don't know. Probably. Hmm. Gross. Anyways. His mother was a sex worker who would force him to watch her having sex with clients and make him cross-dress in public so she could pimp him out to women and men. Yeah. It's probably... Awful. He's getting a real good start in life. It's not a great start. Um, eventually, his teachers complained about the cross-dressing and a court order put an end to it, which I'm like, how, how can you court order someone to stop cross-dressing? Maybe at the time. Maybe, were different. yeah. In the you 40s. Yeah. <laughs> He dropped out of school in the sixth grade and ran away from home because his mom sucked. Um, he drifted kind of around Virginia. So deep. Come on, we to offend them all. <laughs> wow. Sorry. We've officially offended everybody who's lost an eye and a sex worker. <laughs> his mom hit him in the head with a two by four when he was younger, <laughs> causing some brain damage. He had frontal lobe damage. Um, they estimate this was between the ages of 5 to 10. And he had temporal lobe damage. So your temporal lobe controls your impulsivity, and your frontal lobe is like your compassion and your empathy. So if you have both of those damaged, what do you think that's going to do? Make you uh, become a serial killer. Bing, 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 bing. I mean, it doesn't you. make you, but <laughs> it does not bode well when you have high impulsivity and high, high risk. compassion. Yeah. It's, and you've been abused. It's one of the criteria. So, this is going to be kind of a crazy story, so I'm going to introduce some key players here. So, you know, Henry Lee Lucas, Jim Batwell is going to be the sheriff, Vic Wiesel is the district attorney, and Hugh Ainsworth is the journalist. So, remember those four people. Okay. Got it. Um, In 1954, he was convicted on over a dozen counts of burglary. Remember, he's been on his own since he was like 11. Um, He was sentenced to four years in prison. He escaped prison three years later in 1957, was recaptured three days later, and released on September 2nd, 1959. He moved to live with his sister in Tecumseh, Michigan, after his release. And on January 11th, 1960, he murdered his mother. So they were arguing about whether or not he would return home to her house to care for her as she grew older. He claims that she struck him over the head with a broom, and then he stabbed her in the neck and fled the scene. His sister returned to the house and found their mother alive, but in a pool of blood. The ambulances were too late to save her life, and the official police report says that she died of a heart attack preceded by the assault. So I found that interesting. He, he beat her after she died? No, like, he stabbed her and then left, but she was still alive and died because of blood loss, probably. But the police report says she died of a heart attack caused by the assault. Oh, caused Not that by. she died by, like... Him stabbing her uh, in the neck. Well, yeah. I which, imagine it's extremely stressful. Yeah, I would imagine so. Right. <laughs> I would imagine dying is stressful. Yeah. So he claimed self-defense because he says, she hit me in the head with a broom. This was rejected. He was sentenced to 20 to 40 years for second degree murder, but he only served 10 years and was released in June 1970 due to prison overcrowding. Neat. Yep. He also had two attempted suicides while he was in prison because he was picked on, um, and he was in their state mental hospital for a few times, too. 1971. He's been out of prison for a year. He was convicted of attempting to kidnap three schoolgirls. He served a five-year sentence for this crime and even got married upon his release in 1975. Okay. But he left the marriage two years later, and his stepdaughter claimed that he sexually abused her. 
that he's not Damn it. turning out to be a good guy. So <clears throat> he's a wanderer. He traveled. He settled in Jacksonville, Florida, and lived with a friend named Otis Toole. And he became close to his adolescent niece, Frida Powell, but she went by Becky. So Becky was put in a state shelter after her mom and her grandma died in 1982. Lucas convinced her to run away with him, and they lived all over, eventually making it to California. She was 15 years old. Oh, boy. And they made it to Texas, and they're going to stay in Texas, basically, for the rest of the story. He was arrested again in June 1983 for unlawful possession of a firearm, because he's a felon, um, by a Texas ranger. Because I love a good Texas ranger. <laughs> Y'all know this. Although the Texas rangers aren't Until too- the story. Yeah, the Texas rangers aren't too good in the story. He confessed to the murders of Becky and Kate Rich, who was an 82-year-old who he and Becky had worked for but gotten fired from. He said Becky hit him in the face, and next thing he knows is she has a knife buried in her chest. Hmm. wonder how that happened. Um, just an accident. It's just an accident. I don't know how it happened. It's probably a heart attack. <laughs> um, he also confessed to necrophilia and dismembering her body to bury. Oh, my. Yeah, nasty. Um, he led them to the bodies, although forensic evidence alone was inconclusive, and the coroner stopped short of positively identifying either set of remains. So they're not sure if that actually was those two, if it was Becky and Kate. Which, you know, DNA back then, I'm sure, is not the greatest. June 21st, 1983, he's being arraigned for the murders. He goes to court. The judge asked, you know, do you understand what, that you're being charged with murder and you're entering a guilty plea? And he blurted out, well, judge, what are we going to do about these other 100 women that I killed? All right. And so it's quoted in the documentary, it went to hell in a handbasket real quick. Yeah, I'd say so. And you can see like. That's an understatement. <laughs> well, okay. You that okay? was an understatement. Yes, it was. And you can it's see like the demon. judge in in this documentary, he kind of looks back like, to, I don't know who he's looking at, but he goes, what did he just say? <laughs> like, they're all like, did he just say he killed a hundred women? So then they begin getting calls from law enforcement all over for all these unsolved murders from at least 19 states. Um, and he's getting all this attention because they're like, we have all these unsolved cases. This guy confessed to killing a hundred women. Maybe he killed one of our women because like I said, he traveled around a lot. So it was quoted that wherever Henry was, the media was there also. And he makes Charles Manson sound like Tom Sawyer. I don't know about that. Yeah. Poole, <laughs> Becky's uncle that he was friends with, admitted to being an accomplice as well. Lucas was linked to 17 states at least. Law enforcement from all over came to meet and compare notes and interview him. They created what they called the Lucas Task Force, which cleared 213 previously unsolved murders as a result of his confessions. He got preferential treatment that was rarely offered to convicts. He was rarely handcuffed and was allowed to wander around the police stations and jails at will. He knew codes for the security doors, and he was even allowed to go to restaurants with the police. Like, that is bizarre. Unhandcuffed. <clears throat> Someone who's confessed to killing at least 100 people at this point. Cool. They talked about maintaining his mood so he would cooperate. So basically all they had to go off of was his confession. So they were like, let's just keep him as happy as can be so he'll just keep confessing. Mm -hmm. Um, And he got more attention than he ever had in his entire life. Well, there you go. I think I mentioned this, that he had a lower IQ, so people kind of empathize with him. His IQ was 87. He reported he only killed women because he hates women and just didn't like them. And he said he would pick up hitchhikers or people would just get in his car or he would just go knock on their door and they would invite him into their house. 
We're going to go to Jim Batwell. Remember I said he's the sheriff of Williamson County in Texas. He's the sheriff. He's the sheriff. So he had a good relationship with Lucas. They were pretty close, and it was said wherever Jim was, Lucas was as well. So things start to get a little fishy when it was discovered that Lucas was given access to information on the files of cases that he was confessing to. So he would read the reactions of people who were interviewing him and then alter what he was saying to make his confession more consistent with the facts that law enforcement knew. They let him read case files on unsolved crimes. They let him look at crime scene photos. And this enabled him to come up with detailed confessions, which made it impossible to tell if he had been telling the truth or not. But things started not adding up. There was some... Japanese filmmakers that were visiting because they were making a documentary on him back then. And he confessed to killing some women in Japan, too. He was like, oh, I've killed some in your country. And they were like, all right, so remember, this guy, low IQ, very poor. Yeah. They're like, how did you get to Japan? Yeah. And he said, I drove, of course. Mm-hmm. Okay. Geography, if you guys know, it, it, Japan's you know. an island. <laughs> you can't drive what? to Japan. <laughs> No way. Especially not from Texas. He was talking about Japan, Texas. <laughs> City. <laughs> um, so people were like, uh, this isn't making sense. And like a lot of people who were going to interview him were like, he's just not what you would expect. Like you could tell he had a low IQ and like someone with this low of an IQ, typically serial killers are very intelligent to be able to get away with this for as long as they are. And they're like, he's killed a hundred people without being detected. Doesn't add up. So Hugh Ainsworth, the journalist, he comes in. He had interviewed several serial killers, including Bundy. He had just finished interviewing Bundy and written a book about Bundy. So he was like, hey, like this guy killed 100 women. Bundy only killed 30. Like, I need to go interview him and talk to him. And he said, after interviewing with him, that it was just so far out of the norm. Like he said, there was no motive. There was no, like, pattern. There was no type. Like, there was just no, like, nothing made sense. It was all random. Versus, like, other serial killers like Bundy, who had a type, who had a pattern, and who had a motive. Hugh has it on tape when he was alone with Lucas. Lucas said, I didn't really do all them things. I'm just making this up. I'll talk to you later. <sighs> and he has this on tape. Cool. She's snoring. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lucy. She's old. Aw. So everybody was getting suspicious but nobody wanted to rock the boat because families were pleased that they were getting closure. Law enforcement was pleased because they were closing these cases. But at times, he started confessing to more and more killings, eventually confessing to almost 600 killings in eight years. He's a busy guy. I don't even think that's possible. (laughs) It's not, and they proved that with all the locations. Yeah, it's not possible, spoiler alert, to kill 600 people undetected first off. So this is when people really started to not take him seriously because they're like, Okay, buddy. Um, But he was still being publicized as America's most prolific murderer. He was quoted as saying, My victims never knew what was going to happen. I've had shootings, strangulations, beatings. I participated in actual crucifixions. Ah, he really sees himself as... (laughs) (laughs) To me... Super crazy. It didn't matter. I didn't have no feelings about killing. It's like you just drink a drink of water, really. I mean, it didn't mean anything to me. He's a hummingbird. We're going to talk about orange socks. So this was an unidentified woman who was killed on I-35, and she was called Orange Socks because all that was left on her was Orange Socks. Lucas confessed to the murder and described details only the killer would know. Quotations, I'm putting those there. Mm -hmm. 
He claimed she was a hitchhiker he picked up and strangled and then had sex with her dead body. He even took them to the spot where he dumped her body. But then he told Hugh that he didn't do it when they were alone, and Hugh has him on tape saying this. Hugh began to look into it more in depth because this case was important because if Lucas confessed to this, he was up for the death penalty for this case. Hugh Ainsworth and others began to investigate all of the claims. Hugh even went to Jacksonville, Florida and found a check that Lucas had cashed in Florida the night before Orange Socks was killed and was on the job there hours before she was killed, 1,100 miles away. Couldn't they think of a better name than Orange Socks? <laughs> she was just identified by her Orange Socks. I know, but... I know. Um, they calculated... But they couldn't identify her, right? Like, she was never identified. Right. That's right. why she's known as Orange, orange but Socks. She was like a Jane yes. Doe, yeah. 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 They calculated that he would have had to use his 13-year-old Ford station wagon to cover 11,000 miles in one month to have committed the crimes police attributed to him. Right. So, that's a miracle. And that's a lot of gas money mm-hmm. for someone who doesn't have a job and is poor. Mm-hmm. Um, other things that were fishy. Hugh was burglarized, and the only thing missing from his house was interview tapes he had with Lucas. He didn't report it to the police, so it was never reported in the newspapers or anything, and only a close few friends knew. But Sheriff Batwell told him, hey, I'm really sorry to hear that you were burglarized. Oh. Interesting. Hmm. Hmm. Hmm is right. Hmm. Linda Irwin. She is a Dallas homicide detective, and she was really good, had, like, an excellent reputation. She went to interview Lucas and knew that none of what her unsolved cases had matched with um, him. Her supervisor said, just put together a case file, make up some bogus forensic reports, bogus crime scenes, see if he will admit to it. Like, let's see what's up here. She did not tell the Rangers that it was bogus. She laid it out for him, and he described it all, how he killed the woman, how he dumped the body, etc. And this was literally all fake that she made up. So, journalists like Hugh published an article claiming all their findings in the Dallas Times-Herald in April 1985. This cast doubt on the validity of Lucas's confession spree, but still, the ranger stood by him. So, law enforcement opinion began to turn, though, against the confessions when the Lucas report was published by Vic Vissell. So this is the district attorney. He'd been having his doubts as well, and he read, um, you know, what all the journalists like he were publishing. So he published his own Lucas report, which was devoted to a detailed timeline of the claimed murders. Because he's like, I don't want to prosecute all of this because this isn't adding up to me. So the report compared his claims to reliable and verifiable sources for the whereabouts of Lucas during the murders. And these often contradicted the confessions and cast doubt. Weird. That was the district attorney. So the attorney general, Jim Maddox, wrote, When Lucas was confessing to hundreds of murders, those with custody of Lucas did nothing to bring an end to this hoax. So he's like... Well, no. They're getting all sorts of publicity. They're getting publicity. They're being, like, praised for finding the most prolific serial killer ever. And they're closing all of these cases, which is what the families want. And it looks good for them to close all these unsolved cases. That's sad, honestly. Yeah. So they were basically, like, leading him. And you can watch, like, in the documentary, they're so much, like, leading questions. Yeah. Some of the rangers to this day, those who are still alive, still believe that he did kill some. But they admit that he probably didn't kill all 600. 600. Duh. Duh. Yeah, probably not. Get right out of town. And they claim that there was some cases that he knew things that they didn't allow him access to. And he still knew the details. I'm like... I think he probably knew how to read people. Hmm. Also, he was getting, like, 
tips. Right. I'm, I'm sure of it. Yeah. So he has been... Obviously, he did kill his mother. Like, that is well yeah. known. He served yeah. his time for that. Um, it is widely suspected that he killed the 82-year-old woman um, and then Becky as well, even though they couldn't really identify their bodies. And then DNA evidence started coming through that started verifying that he did not kill some of the victims that he was confessing to. For every case that he could close, he was promised a milkshake Mm -hmm. from Jim. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So he was getting like a milkshake a day, basically. 600 milkshakes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So his attorneys were basically like, he told his attorneys that he didn't really do all of these murders. And they were like, why are you wanting to plead guilty? And he said that he wanted to commit legal suicide. Basically, he said he felt so bad and filled with so much remorse at killing Becky that he wanted to die. But his religious beliefs made him think if he killed himself, he wouldn't go to heaven where she was. So if the state killed him, then he would go to heaven. Mm. Um, And his attorneys were like, that's not a thing. Like, legal suicide is not a thing. You can't just confess to something so you get the death penalty. Um, He eventually did retract his confessions in 1986, crediting them to a steady diet of tranquilizers, steaks, hamburgers, and milkshakes provided by investigators. Yep. That's pretty much why he confessed. Sounds good. Sounds legit. And he was getting attention. Right. Um, The district attorney, Vic, he went (laughs) against the Rangers when he published his report, and he was indicted and essentially had his whole life and career destroyed. He was um ended up beating his case found not guilty in june 1987 and was awarded a 58 million dollar libel suit against the documentary makers so at the time there was a dallas tv station that ran a series about him um and this was the only evidence that was shown to the federal grand jury to indict him so he couldn't go after the rangers or the fbi because they basically had immunity and so he went after the documentary filmmakers and this is the biggest uh Settlement in a libel suit. It's in the world record. Um, He ended up resigning as district attorney a year later because he was like, the whole thing just like left a sour taste in my mouth. He was like, I basically got like the FBI and the Rangers came after me for retribution, Um, which is really sad. They also poisoned his dog in addition to filing all the false charges on him. Poisoned him? Poisoned his dog because they were trying to watch his house and his dog kept like barking and alerting them to their whereabouts. So they like poisoned and killed his dog i mean it's awful to kill anybody animals included but poisoning that's what he says happened he took his dog to the vet and the vet confirmed he had been poisoned but that's who he think did it um he ended up getting a divorce like he said his kids went through a lot of crap because of everything going on so it's just really sad so Vic then was like you know what i'm gonna represent lucas because he's like i know that he didn't do this i know that he's not guilty So he's like, I'm going to represent Lucas. But then a twist happened. Becky came out in an interview saying she was alive. All right. Dun, 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 the dead. But spoiler alert, it wasn't Becky. (laughs) It was a (laughs) fan who was in love with Lucas and she wanted to help him out. So Vic, like, put her on the media. He was like, this is what I've been waiting for to show the Texas Rangers that this is all made up, blah, blah, blah. Becky's not even dead. And he did all of this while they were waiting on DNA evidence to confirm if it was her, which I don't know how long it would have taken for DNA evidence in the 80s to come back, but I guess it took a while. So in the meantime, he was like looking into this Becky and found all these letters that she and Lucas had written back and forth to each other, where basically Lucas was like describing his interactions with Becky so she could know how to act like Becky and would know details about Becky and all this stuff. How sad. 
Um, this woman also visited Charles Manson and John Wayne Gacy in prison. And when asked why she was drawn to Lucas or why she fell in love with him, she said, because he killed a hundred people. Yeah, there's just some people who are like that. So after this all came out, Vic was basically like, dude, I'm done. Like, yeah. he's like, I'm done representing you. Much. Like, you keep lying to me. You've lied to everybody. Like, I'm done with this. So in the end, Lucas remained convicted of 11 homicides. He was sentenced to death for orange socks. Despite the timesheet recording his presence at work in Jacksonville, Florida, the night before her murder. Um, he was eventually granted a stay on the death sentence after discovering the details in his confession came from the case file. The sentence was commuted to life in prison by George W. Bush, who was governor at the time in 98. Um, Lucas was found dead on March 12th, 2001 in his prison cell of heart failure. He was 64 years old. It's pretty young, actually. Mm-hmm. And until the end, he was, like, saying that he was innocent. He doesn't deserve to die. Like, he did a complete 180 and basically said that he confessed to all of these killings because he wanted to make Jim happy because Jim was his friend. And he said, I wanted him to close these cases, and I thought this would help him, and I was getting attention, and this is what everybody wanted me to say, so I said what they wanted me to say. That's really sad. Yeah, it's really sad. But, I mean, he was also a terrible person. I mean, he did kill three people and yeah. sexually assaulted his mother. and yeah. Yeah, kidnapped <clears throat> little girls. I mean, he was a terrible person, but he was not the most prolific serial killer. 600 murder. No, he was not. My goodness. That is Henry Lee Lucas. Watch The Confession awesome. Killer on Netflix. It's very good. It is very good. If you haven't noticed, we like documentaries. We do. <laughs> big fan. We're big fans. Big, a big fan. And most of the people that I talked about are still alive. So they were in the documentary. Jim Batwell has passed away and Henry Lee Lucas has passed. But like Vic is still alive. Hugh is still alive. And so they talk about it all. And it's just very fascinating. Um, I spin the wheel. Okay. Spin it. Spin it. We're both Sarah. Ooh. You're Sarah. Oh. Oh, okay. I can't. I can't read you. Oh, it's me then. It's you. Are we ready? Ready. Where are we going? Ready. We're in Texas. Michigan. Michigan. We are going to Michigan. However, one of them is from Texas. So <gasps> I could have uh, made what? you feel anxious by saying, well, mine's kind of from Texas. <laughs> I feel like I kind of gave you guys a clue because the picture I sent you when I was doing my research. I, I try had... not to look into it oh, too okay. much. I had the iPad up. I you know, didn't showing either. Uh, good job. I was like, when I zoomed in, you could see what I was Googling. And I was like, I could, oh, no. I could, All I could see is it said orange socks on it. And I was like, no. Orange socks. Now I know. I know. I really think that they should have come up with a name. It still makes me mad. It's sad that, like, they still haven't identified her. Yeah. That's what's sad about this case is that there's so many still unsolved cases that they don't know. Yeah. They talk about that. They're like, what's the real tragedy of this is that all these murderers got away with what they did because we were so focused on him. Yeah. They were giving him all the publicity that he wanted. Yep. And milkshakes. I almost said bean burritos and milkshakes. We'll confess for milkshakes. <laughs> I don't know where the bean burritos came from. I don't know where the bean burritos came from either. I feel like that's what I would ask for. <laughs> that's all it takes. <laughs> I can buy you a 99 cent bean burrito at Taco Bell. <laughs> what would you do for a bean burrito? <laughs> what would you do <laughs> for a burrito? <laughs> Boys, she's not impressed, but <laughs> she's really not. She's got this, just glaring at us. I don't know. I just, I don't know. It just came to me. That's what she said. 
Okay. All right. (laughs) (laughs) She's still not amused. I'm amused. Okay, go on. Okay, so I... I did the story of Gwendolyn Graham and Kathy Wood. I don't know who they are. All right. Well, I'm going to tell you about them. I'm ready. Are you ready? (laughs) She's been ready. Gwen Graham, she was born August 6th, 1963. She grew up in Tyler, Texas. Gwen Gwen Graham? Gwen Graham. That's a fun name. It's real fun. Um, So she was raised on a farm in Texas by parents who believed that holding infants, quote, made them weak. So you can see where this is going for her upbringing. She didn't get a lot of love and attention. Did Not she? great. So yeah. she went without a lot of oh, well, she went without a lot of physical contact and care during the early stages of her life, which we all know is actually pretty important when you're growing up. You gotta, it's very important. Yep. Um, also, it's reported that her father abused her both physically and sexually. Nope. Right. So poor poor Gwen didn't really have a great upbringing. Um, when she was a little older, so probably like teenage years, she started to hurt herself by burning herself with cigarettes and cutting herself with razors. Mm -hmm. All right. So one story about Gwen was that her brother shot and killed their family dog at the orders of her Both of you. Stop putting animal deaths in your stories. I can't control it. You did a child death the other week, and you know I hate child death. I don't know why I laughed at that, but I'm (laughs) laughing. You did either. I'm not laughing at the fact that it was just the the comparison. (laughs) I felt like that was a story that needed to be told. No, I agree. (laughs) Okay, this is important. Let me tell you why. So her brother shot the dog, okay, because her dad told him to. For whatever reason. Something stupid, I'm sure. But she was um, upset, so she dug up the bones a while later and kept the teeth in a box for herself. That's weird. That's that's the point. It's it's that kind of bizarre behavior. That's almost as bad as, like, the knife dream catcher. It even said it was a little (laughs) heart-shaped box. Oh, no, no, no. Get out of here, Gwen. I wouldn't be digging up anything. (laughs) Later, she was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and some psychopathic tendencies. Weird. Uh, She moved to Walker, Michigan, where we'll stay for the rest of the story, and began working at a place known as the Alpine Manor Nursing Home. And she worked as a nurse's aide there. Mm. So, the other person we're talking about, Kathy Wood. Kathy was married at the young age of 17. Pretty sure you have to get parental parental permission at that age. But when was this though? Sixties. Yeah, yeah, it was probably 60s, different 70s. back then. I feel like people got married really young back then. True. I don't know. So she was seventeen and pregnant. Got married. Um, later, she said it was because, uh, she, well, she allowed herself to get pregnant so that she could leave an abusive home. Hmm. She's sad. That was uh, her way to escape. Unfortunately, however. Later in life, she would be diagnosed as a pathological narcissist. That's a pretty descriptive term there. Uh, so it's it's hard to determine what's truth and a lie. That's the thing with Kathy this whole time. You never know when she's telling the truth. Just pretty much, yeah, you'll see. It's hard to tell. So her husband said, or her ex-husband said, that after the baby was born, her um, her husband noted that she never really bonded with her daughter and she was actually more annoyed that she had to take care of the baby. Um, so she became pretty withdrawn and isolated 
he encouraged her to get out of the house, and she finally ended up getting a job in 1985. Guess where she was hired? At the, the nursing home. Yeah. The Alpine Manor Nursing Home. Shocker. She started hanging out with a group of women who identified as lesbians. They would go to parties, clubs, spend a lot of their free time together. There's a point to this. Okay. So Wood and Graham, they worked together at the nursing home, as we already figured out. Right. Graham, she was a nurse's aide, and Wood was her immediate superior. In September of 1986, the two began to have a romantic affair. Mm. They Are they were, both still married? Uh, Gwen was never married. Gwen was never married. Yeah, Wood Kathy was, married. was, yes, okay. at the time. Gotcha. They were just totally drawn together, like right from the beginning. Some people think that uh, it's because Kathy gave Gwen the attention she never had growing up. Um, there are other reports that say that Gwen's um, IQ was not that high. So mm. she was just, you know, she would kind of latch on to people who would give her the attention that she so longed for. Well, yeah. Borderline personality mm. disorder. You want the attention. Oh, it's interesting because they described her as cherub-like and mm-hmm. innocent looking and, and seeming. Yeah. They're very childlike. Yeah. Immature. Yeah. Which, I mean, you hear her in interviews and she does seem pretty immature. Mm-hmm. Things were super intense right from the get-go with mm-hmm. them. They started, you know, having this affair together. And there were just two people that just it took off. And it was crazy. And it was secretive. And everything was exciting for them. But they fizzled out also fairly quickly. So. A whirlwind romance. In fact, that's what I wrote. Aww. After a whirlwind romance. <laughs> Look at us. On the same yeah. page. How's it feel now, Boston? <laughs> Missed out on the harmonizing, but... Whirlwind romance. Other people whirlwind can romance. harmonize. <laughs> Listen, I was the one who missed out on the harmonizing That's the true. first time. So, go me. All right. So, Graham. <laughs> what did I do to you? <laughs> Jesus. I mean, she threw the box when I asked for a drink, so. She's sad tonight. <laughs> We're helping her through it. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Graham began seeing uh, someone else in the spring of 1987, and she actually moved back to Texas to be with her. So a pretty drastic step there. In mm-hmm. interviews later, she says it's actually because she was scared of Wood, and at one point Wood tied her up and threatened her with a gun. They both have some pretty serious... And she was her boss still at this time, right? Well, I think boss is a loose term. That's why they kept saying immediate superior. Oh, okay. I don't know if she actually had any like authority over right. her, but whatever. Still wouldn't want to work underneath my ex. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I meant. <laughs> Would not want to work with an ex, period, let alone... Yeah. That's probably challenging in and of itself. So, okay. Anyhow, Wood and her husband, they divorced shortly after. Shocker. Surprise. Um, And he went to the police not long after that and said that Kathy confessed to killing five women at the nursing home. What? Mm -hmm. It's going to be like an angel of death kind of thing? (laughs) Not quite. The police knew that it would be easy to conceal a murder at a nursing home. As a natural cause, because most of them are elderly or have underlying conditions. Right. They're uh, sneeze away from death anyway. That's exactly right. So they brought Kathy in for questioning because it's pretty hard to ignore those things when somebody comes in. Yeah, you got to look into that. Yeah, I suppose you should. It's important. So 
some of the crimes. It's it's really hard to tell exactly what happened, um, but the time frame is about January 1987 to April 1987, so not very long, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and almost all of the testimony is based off of what Kathy said. All of the evidence is based off of what Kathy said. And flashback to Kathy's diagnosis. She's a pathological narcissist, which are liars. She lies quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I know one of those. <laughs> I wrote in my notes. So basically she's really good at lying. <laughs> it's true. And also her story changed over time, mm-hmm. multiple times. She agreed to reveal some of the murder details in exchange for a plea deal uh, and said that Graham was the mastermind who convinced her to participate in the murders. Remember we talked about Graham's low IQ. She probably was not the mastermind here, but that's what she said. Kathy said that she only acted as the lookout while Graham smothered the patients with wash rags. So a major problem in this investigation was that none of the five victims had an autopsy performed after their death. Mm -hmm. And three of them had already been cremated. That stinks. Mm -hmm. So the police went ahead and they exhumed the other two bodies to try to look for more evidence. But the coroner was unable to find any physical evidence of homicide. Which, actually, if she smothered them like... Kathy said there wouldn't be no physical evidence, so mm-hmm. what are you going to do? Right. They did change their cause of death to homicide on both of those people. Hmm. And they were both arrested. Wood and Graham were both arrested on this after, after this happened. All right. So after this, Graham claimed that she was innocent, of course, and said that it was actually Wood who carried out the mur- murders. Of course they're going to blame each other. <laughs> right. Yes. It's totally they broke up. They don't care. Yeah. Right. So Graham claimed that the killing spree started. Now, this is where it gets kind of crazy. Graham claimed that the killing spree started as a sick game where the object of the game was to choose the victims by their initials to spell out the word murder. Oh, my goodness. All right. So this, this is, is a stupid game. <laughs> this is what got me onto this story in the first place. Wait, aren't there five victims? Okay. There are. <laughs> but there's a reason for this. Got okay. it. Okay, go ahead. Red rum. Red Let rum. me... I'll finish this paragraph, and then I'll tell you where I got this okay. story from. So they quickly realized that some of their victims were actually too strong to be overpowered. So they had to change their game. Okay. So after trying to spell the names, they just decided, you know what? We're going to go with the weakest person that we can overcome. The the easiest it's not going to be a hard for us. We just need to pick the weakest person here. Okay. Okay. So the reason why I actually found this story is because we a few weeks ago we talked about American Horror Story. We were talking about our yes. favorite people or our favorite episodes or seasons. And Lizzie mentioned my favorite season is Roanoke. Yes, I remember this. I was just thinking of it. And I rewatched it because that's how I am. I rewatch creepy stuff. And they did a whole topic I don't mm-hmm. know what you call it. Like, like a story. Theme, yeah. Story on the two. They changed it a little bit, of course, as right. they do. But in their story, it was two sisters. No, two. Sc- yeah. Two sisters, not lovers. Two sisters that were murdering people to spell the word murder. Mm-hmm. And they actually did get it all the way to the end. But anyhow. I did not know that was based on a true story. It was based on a true story. Well, loosely. This is what it's based on. What did they spell? 
Uh, in the story? No, in this, because you said that they had to pick the weakest. Well, they got through M, and then after that, they had to change everything. Oh, so they did one. <laughs> they did one. <laughs> but that was the goal, was to spell murder. Uh, and if you remember in Roanoke, they actually do spell the word murder out. The last one being in, like, fairly present day at the time of their... Right. Anyway, thought that was interesting. Interesting. All right, so as an inside joke... They would say things like, I love you forever and X days. Now, the X would be however many people they had killed. So if it was two people, I love you forever and two days. And they would just say that to each other constantly or write it down. So messed up. Mm -hmm. So Graham went to court and we find out later that her new girlfriend from Texas testified that she had also confessed to the murders, just like Kathy's ex-husband. Even though Graham said she didn't do anything. So Graham was found guilty on all charges, including five counts of murder and one count of conspiracy to commit murder. And they, and she was sentenced to five life sentences without the possibility of parole. And just say, if you're going to kill somebody, don't <laughs> tell anyone. Nobody is yeah. going to have your back and they're probably going to turn you in. That's what happened both times. <laughs> if anybody tells me that they killed somebody, I am going straight to the police. <laughs> No to self. No to Lindsay. Anything. <laughs> right. I grew right. up with Jenner, like noted. My husband's always like, you're going to have to be my first victim if I ever kill people because you're just going to go to the police if you find out. I'm like, yeah, True. I am. True. <laughs> I love you, but not that much. Uh, okay. Wait, where was it? Okay. So when... <laughs> Lindsay's a snitch. All right. Li- Boydston. <laughs> They're winking at each other. I think they killed somebody. Not yet. <laughs> oh boy okay Would she... <laughs> said not yet <laughs> don't come after me i didn't do anything wood was charged with only one count of second degree murder and one count of conspiracy to commit second degree murder um this is all likely due to her plea deal that she uh, came up with when she was giving all this wonderful testimony and advice or, um, because they were testifying against each other yes yeah, yeah. exactly so she was sentenced to 20 years on each count, but after serving 29 years, she was granted parole in October 2019. So she is out. Is out. Hmm. How old is she now? Hmm. That's math. <laughs> Lindsay, she don't ask questions. This all happened in like the 80s, you said, Look, right? I tried, to, I tried to cut down my stories. I'm not going to okay, be like, sorry. and she was. Sorry, 75 years old. She's probably <laughs> el- older now. She is. I saw pictures of her. She doesn't. She did not age well. You know what? It'd be comical <laughs> if Question she mark? ends up in a nursing home. <gasps> <gasps> you said it in like a creepy way. I said that it in was, an interesting way. That was demonic. <laughs> I was like, oh, and she's like, mm. <laughs> this is my inner demons. Okay. It was. So that was Wood, right? Are they both? <laughs> I'm confused. That's the end of my story. <laughs> okay. They both served time, though. But only one uh, is out. Well, one's not. Gwen's not a, up for parole. Okay. So only one got out. She'll never be up for parole. And Kathy, because of her plea deal, mm. was, you know, given a She's parole out. option. Okay. And she was out. She was given a 40-year sentence and was out after 29. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Where are we going? We're in Michigan. Texas. Michigan. Both. And we're in the Michigan, 80s. Michigan, Texas. Oh, and we're in the 80s? Where are we going? We're going to stay in the 80s. Okay. And I'm going to take a page out of Sarah's book. 
Literally, because it came from the book she loaned me. Um, and we're going to go to Kansas City. No. <gasps> With a PowerPoint. With a PowerPoint. I can't see. Okay. Situate yourself. Ooh. This was a re- was Was the anniversary of this fairly recent? <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> it was. Um, I actually have just heard p- bits and pieces about this story. Pits and pieces? And didn't know <laughs> about it fully. And it's terrible. Yeah. This is the 1988 Kansas City explosion. I don't um, think I know all the details about it either. So I'm excited. At the Marriott? No? No. What do I know? I know nothing. It's Proceed. not. It's, um, we're not going to just listen. How about that? Sorry, sorry, sorry. I tried already. You know, I hate when you guys guess I my know, things. I know. I know. I hate it. I'm sorry. I, I don't hate it when you <laughs> guess mine. Just, just <laughs> throwing that out I there. I hate disappointing you. I'm, I'm so a sorry. very particular person. Okay. <laughs> She's very particular. <laughs> That's why I only do once. Anyways, the explosion. I'm ready. 1988 Kansas City explosion. And I won't go into more of a title because I want to tell you about it. Of course you don't. All right. Uh, So in the early morning hours of Tuesday, November 29th, 1988, the Kansas City Fire Department received a call for a highway construction site fire just off of Highway 71 and 87th Street, uh, the site where the new Bruce R. Watkins Memorial Drive was being built. I see the red. Perfect. Still not figuring it out i will figure it out go ahead so for those familiar with the area but can't quite place this it's by the grandview triangle 87th street is a side street that connects i-435 to 71 highway um, by the newest cerner location unless they've built another one i can't keep up i think you're right so grandview triangle 71 435 there's a little side street and it is 87th street over so like by um blue ridge and i know yeah now. i'm with you now yep. that area yep so you can kind of triangulate the area back to the early morning hours in late november 1988 a security guard at the construction site called this fire in reporting a small pickup truck on fire and soon after the security guard updated the dispatcher and said that the flames were also visible in an area where explosives were stored and in the background another security guard can be heard saying the explosives are on fire so there's some concern so they're exploding it's possible the explosives um, are exploding the explosives are exploding <laughs> a fire crew was dispatched and cautioned about the possible presence of explosives. Um, Seven minutes after receiving the call, the crew on Pumper 41 arrived to the scene of the pickup fire. Mm -hmm. So side note for those unfamiliar Mm -hmm. with fire vehicles, a pumper is another word for a fire engine, and it carries a Mm -hmm. water tank, hoses, a pump to get the water out of the tank to extinguish, and a ladder, but not the one that goes up uh the one that the crew usually carries around and then a fire truck is <laughs> the one with the long hydraulic ladder and all of the bells and whistles <laughs> for search and rescue thank I've literally you never heard of a pumper i was like is that what they called them back then it's, it's present day present day pumper. <laughs> yeah present day pumpers okay so the pumper is the water one next time i see kcfd i'm gonna be like do you bring your pumper <laughs> Only if the building's on fire. 
power. <laughs> They're going to look at me like I'm an idiot. They're going to be like, Lindsay. Please don't ask them that. <laughs> so seven minutes after receiving the craw- call, the crew on pumper, the water pump, uh, 41, 41. arrived to the scene of the pickup fire. They radioed for more help when they saw the second fire, and about five minutes later, Pumper 30 reached the area. Pumper 41 made a call in to dispatch to caution Pumper 30 not to get too close to some of the trailers that were on site, as they were the ones that likely had the explosives in them. And it was then that things got kind of chaotic. Um, Pumper 41 was putting out the small pickup fire, and Pumper 30 began to suspect arson due to uh, there being two separate fires on the same site, Mm -hmm. um, and they requested the police. Um, Pumper 41 finished up with their truck fire, and they headed over to Pumper 30 to help them out. And they radioed in for the battalion chief to come lights and sirens ASAP. They knew something was up. Um, And the second fire uh, involved a truck, a trailer, and a compressor. So potentially a lot of dangerous things. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a lot of confusion surrounding the status of the explosives at the site. And it was unclear if there were explosives on site or if the explosives were actually involved in the fire and they had already gone off. None of the vehicles or the trailers appeared to be marked with the little uh, diamond placards. And there weren't any indications that the firefighters suspected any explosives to be involved in the fires that they were attempting to extinguish at that current time. So here's the problem. The site was used to house explosives for blasting away limestone like they do in our area. We've got lots of limestone. (laughs) And whenever they're building a highway like they were, they've got to get deep into the earth and they, they use explosives. But that wasn't ever communicated. The trailers were holding a mixture of ammonium nitrate. Fuel oil and ammonium pellets, so 50,000 pounds of explosive. And this is the same material used in the Oklahoma City bombing a year earlier, but in five times the amount. Yikes. So that's the damage for Oklahoma City. And then five times that was housed in this uh, site. Um, And that's what these guys were, were around trying to potentially fight the fire. The markings on the trailers were likely covered. Uh, federal regulations at the time allowed this to deter theft and vandalism. So Pumper 41 con- contacts the battalion chief and said, apparently this thing's already blowed up, chief. He's got magnesium or something burning up in there. Four minutes after this message, the chief pulls up a quarter mile away. And at this point, Pumper 41 has been on scene for 22 minutes. Pumper 30 for 16 minutes. They're at the same uh, area of the site by the um, trailer and the truck. Mm -hmm. As the chief pulls up, he senses danger. And as he went to radio to his men to tell them to pull back, one of the trailers exploded. And he was too late. So the boom roared, breaking windows at the construction site. It broke the windshield on the battalion chief's car. It rattled doors and shook walls across South Casey. Tens of thousands of people reported hearing it and feeling it, some as far as 50 miles away. Jeez. Dispatch radioed to Pumper 30 and didn't get an answer. 
and they radioed to Pumper 41 and didn't get an answer. All six firefighters had died essentially before they knew what hit them. So more fire trucks arrived, but they were kept back by the chief, fearful for another blast. Flames spread to the second trailer, and 40 minutes after the first, it exploded and was even larger than the first. Both of these explosions left large craters. Um, The crater from the first explosion was about 80 feet in diameter and 8 feet deep, and the second blast left a crater about 100 feet in diameter and 8 feet deep. Wow. And yeah, it's they're huge. It became evident that the intent was arson and it was never to kill the firefighters or harm anybody. But all signs really pointed to the fires themselves not being an accident. So a few theories came out, one being insurance fraud gone terribly wrong. And another theory was that the one, uh, this is the one that stuck, it was petty thieves were looting the site, and they set the fire as a distraction so that while the fires were burning, they could just go and steal whatever they wanted. And after seven years of investigation, five people were charged. Um, The first two are brothers Frank and Earl Shepard, then their nephew, Brian Shepard, Brian's friend Richard is on the end. And then Frank's girlfriend right here, Darlene Edwards. Hmm. Hmm. Like they were all in on it together? Cuties. Aren't they? What did you say? Cuties. Cuties. (laughs) I said kitties. I was like, what? (laughs) Kitty. Cuties. Apparently more than 50 witnesses were called on reporting the five were bragging about being on the scene before the blast or that they were responsible in some other way. Prosecutors went the looting route, saying that they intended to steal tools, dynamite, and two-way radios, and after they failed to get into the trailers, they just set them on fire, either out of frustration or to cover up their crime. So in 1997, a jury convicted them all and sentenced them all to life in prison. 1997? It took eight, nine years? It was a seven-year investigation. Jeez. But... I mean, it hasn't settled anything. So evidence has come up since then, here and there, hinting that the original five weren't at all involved. Mm. Um, Apparently, of the 50 witnesses that were called on, 24 were felons with a combined 76 convictions, 14 Mm. of which were serving time in jail. Mm. They reported being pressured to snitch, bribed with money, um, bribed with shorter prison terms or threats to prosecute. Yep. Jeez. So, on top of all that, a recent report came out that one of the security guards there that night had told people on two separate occasions that she and the other guard there uh, set fire to the um, truck as part of an insurance scam. Mm-hmm. Earl ended up dying in prison, maintaining his innocence to the end. And actually, Darlene has tried to get out of prison during this whole COVID issue, Uh Mm -hmm. claiming that it would be detrimental to her health if she stayed in prison. Mm -hmm. Sorry. I don't think prison is good for anybody's health, but... Especially not with COVID. Right. (laughs) And I don't know the results of that, that plea. So besides... Someone, and we don't know who, being an asshole, um, what went wrong 
excellent question. So almost all of the firefighters there that night had attended specialty field courses on hazardous materials. However, it has since been reported that the specific courses that they had attended tend to downplay the potential explosiveness of the agent used in this incident. Also, the dispatcher was told about the presence of explosives, but not what the explosives were, where they were located, or that the explosives were on fire. And of course, it's recommended that dispatchers should get as much information as they can, and it's very helpful if they're also hazmat trained so that they can better understand what questions need to be asked and what information is most important to relay quickly to those crews. The trailer wasn't marked, noting the explosives or what material was inside, and the downside is that they weren't required to do so at the time. And again, the federal regulatory body believed that marking explosives would make it more susceptible to theft, vandalism, or terrorism. And the Department of Transportation required placards and labeling only during transport. So, as a direct result of this explosion and the death of the firefighters, OSHA, or our friends, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, OSHA, they adopted regulations that now require all transportation containers of any hazardous material to continue to have a placard and a label even when the containers are fixed. So, those diamond-shaped placards at all times, that's, that stems cool. right from Kansas City. Interesting. Um, Kansas City passed an ordinance adopting a marking system that identifies general hazards of materials at a facility at all times. Also, as a direct result, the Kansas City Fire Department's HAZMAT team was placed in service the next year in 1989, and the numbers 30 and 41 were combined to form HAZMAT 71 in honor of the firefighters killed in the explosion. Cool. The firefighters were memorialized at the city's firefighters memorial in downtown Kansas City, as well as their own monument located along 71 Highway at 87th Street near the blast site. So, from Pumper 41, 54-year-old James Kilvinton Jr., married with two children, had served more than 27 years on the force. 32-year-old Michael Oldhan, married with two children, an 11-year-old veteran of the department, and his father had also been a firefighter. 41-year-old Robert McCarnan, married with two children, had spent almost 20 years with the department, all of which was with Station 41. And from Pumper 30, 57-year-old Gerald Halloran, married with three children and six grandchildren. He had served more than 37 years and was considering retirement at the end of the year. 41-year-old Eugene Hurd, married with three children. He normally worked at Station 23, but volunteered to fill in at Station 30 that night. He was a 10-year veteran of the department. And 41-year-old Thomas Fry, divorced with one child. He had been a firefighter for more than 15 years. And these are the six men that were killed because of an arson fire at a construction site uh, in 1988. Very interesting. Good story. Yeah. Super, super, super sad. sad. Yeah. Uh, especially because in our line of work, we kind of work closely yeah, with the department. And I just, I had heard about this in general. I know about the memorials around the city, but I didn't know the details around this, especially kind of the controversy. 
Um, and it's just, it's just so sad. Yeah. Interesting that you and I both talked about, um, oh, I talked about nursing, nursing yeah. and firefighters. We just can't get away from it. <laughs> Maybe we'll think of something different next time. <laughs> you blame me for bringing you down with dinosaurs. Jeez. <laughs> I just don't dinosaurs. want them to be forgotten. Meteor. 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 <laughs> Sorry. It's funny. I did think it was kind of fitting. We're recording on September 12th, and yeah. I wrote the story on 9-11. Yeah. So as I was writing it, it was like a little extra special, like, remembrance for firefighters and first responders. So... When we close out, do you remember where you were, 9-11? I was in seventh we were in grade, grade in social studies God, class. Crazy old. Um, and they turned it on, and we all watched it on on the TV. And then I came home from school and talked to my parents about it, and they didn't really know what was going on, but we were just continuing to watch coverage. Um, and I called my best friend at the time, and we were just talking about how crazy it was. But I can only imagine that conversation and how just juvenile and <laughs> right what it was. Nobody, yeah, Nobody knew any better, honestly. We, um, I was in seventh grade, too, and we were not told anything. So they, the school district let high schoolers know what happened. Um, elementary school was told nothing. Junior high was told that there was an attack in New York City. And that's all we knew. Like, we weren't allowed to watch TV coverage of it or anything. And so my first, like, I remember everybody kind of freaking out at first. And people were saying that we'd been bombed. But we didn't know what or how or how many or what, anything. And so I remember they let us out of school. Um, and they had canceled the football game that day. And, like, we walked outside. And all of the parents were just, like, lined up, like, crying waiting to hug us. I still get choked up because I remember my mom just like bawling and hugging us. And that's when we knew. Like yeah. that's when my mom told us like what happened. And then we just watched the news all night. I was a freshman in college. <laughs> oh, and we were in seventh grade. <laughs> we were in seventh grade. <laughs> that's why I said, like, we cool. were 12. I felt old. <laughs> it, was, it was early months of freshman year. Like, you're six years older than us. We were 12. You were 18. Yeah, I mean, it's true. I was going to say, yeah. you're my sister's age. I was on KU campus. I was walking from one class to the other, and I looked up, and you could see the planes had turned around in the sky. And yeah. when I got to my next class, they said, everything's canceled. Do you need to go back to your dorm? So I did, and I called my dad, and I was like, what is happening? He's like, I don't really know, but it's not good. But yeah. that's what I remember. I remember looking up and seeing, you know, you can see, like, the white in the sky from mm -hmm. the back of the plane. I'm like, that's weird. Mm -hmm. All these planes have turned around in the sky. Yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy. I just, I do remember the reports because can Kansas City is in the middle of the mm -hmm. United States. Like, plane, plane paths cross mm -hmm. over us. All the time. All the mm -hmm. time. And we were, it was just so crowded. Yeah. People were stranded here. Yes, they were. Yeah. Uh, Wild. Wild. Well. So. That's great. So maybe. Sorry to take us down that path, but we should all remember and mm -hmm. just take a, take a second. So. Yeah. Here we are. Good to remember, Good especially job. with the state of our country now and just mm -hmm. need to remember some unity. Think, especially Absolutely. going into this election season. Good point. Yeah. Be kind to each other. Be kind to each other. Good nice to people. You're right. It's not that hard. Really. Anyways, <sighs> how do we want to round this one out? Hmm. I don't, I 
I don't know how to bring us back up from nine eleven. I have a joke. I have a joke. Oh, it's a joke. Okay. Okay. What do you do when you break your leg in two places? Laugh at your friends. Hobble. You don't go back to those two places. (laughs) 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 Okay, I have one more quick one. What do you call a bear with no teeth? I don't know what. I don't know. A gummy bear. Lindsay, it's your turn. <laughs> oh, gosh. You put me on the spot. I didn't come prepared. Um, how do you make a tissue dance? Just going to say that one. You put a little boogie in it. <laughs> Those are the only two jokes I know. <laughs> I need to get some new ones. Very good. All right, cool. Beautiful. Now we're ready to... I think we're ready. I was going to either do that one or the fish joke. <laughs> So thanks so much for tuning in this week for our true crime episode, guys. If you like what you can hear, you can always find us at the Tipsy Ghost. I don't know what I just said there. <laughs> like me on the ad every week. If you like what you can hear. If you liked what you if you liked what you can hear. If you liked what you heard. That's my line. Oh my gosh. Hold on. <laughs> You can always find us at the Tipsy Ghosts on Instagram, Facebook. We got the Twitter now. Mm-hmm. And Twitter. YouTube. We are just moving up in the world. Mm-hmm. So you can find us at the Tipsy Ghosts on all four of those platforms, or you can send us an email at the Tipsy at gmail.com. We have a new Patreon account, so if you feel like you want to reach out and support us, please feel free to do so. We'd love it. So we can continue to go up. <laughs> yes. Also, if you do, you get <gasps> premium access to the prom night at McIntyre Villa. They're horrible pictures. <laughs> for, for the first incentive. They're they're so good, guys. I can't wait till you one, see them. <laughs> one picture a week and they get cringier and cringier <laughs> as the week goes on. my friends so much. <laughs> she loves us. If you haven't seen the uh, goat man uh-huh. with Lindsay's face this Again, week. I need new friends. <laughs> That just gives you just a taste of what McIntyre prom night looks like. Oh, man. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. I am the butt of the jokes. <laughs> she is also, I found a, another picture. So just stay tuned. Oh, Honestly, if you are a member of our Patreon, you will not be disappointed. <laughs> I promise. They're and you're just supporting us, and we greatly appreciate it. Yes. yes. Thank you. And if you've enjoyed what you heard... Please give us a five-star rating and leave us a nice review on Apple Podcast. Thanks so much, guys. We will catch you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.